This is Rugga Matrix America. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Alex Goff from Goff Rugby Report and Flow Rugby as well. So I'm from two places at once, which is okay because everybody else is from two places at once as well. Uh... Rugby Matrix America is brought to you by Eagle Impact Rugby Academy. Uh, we have our regular guys on uh, Lindenwood Belleville and Rugby Today's own Pat Clifton. You're from two places at once as well. And uh, I own a college and New York Athletic Clubs, uh, Bruce McLean. I guess we could say you're from two places at once as well. So, guys, we're back. How's it going? Stupendous. I would only say that I'm a, I'm a New York Athletic Club alum and, and – I, I give them a – if they ask me for advice, I give it to them. But I, I can't say – I haven't coached them much. I think I coached them one or two sessions in the past six months. So I don't – I can't say that that's uh, – that I, that I qualify as a yeah, New York you still, you still won a few Super League championships with it. So that, that stays with your resume, especially when you're a has-been on a podcast. I bet if they would have beat the Huns, you'd, you'd, have, been, you'd have been from New York Athletic Club still. Well, they <laughs> – I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm still from New York Athletic Club. I just didn't coach them. We've got a show to do here, and we're right in the middle of, or actually coming to the end of the USA National Team's summer uh, four-game series, uh, You know, a, a series that's supposed to be building toward uh, a World Cup qualification and something the USA has never done, which is qualify for the World Cup on the first bite. They always end up going to uh, you know a secondary game or a secondary you know the secondary seed. Um, one time it was just a like a, a round robin over the course of a week and a bit, and uh, and and so they they qualified the same weekend. Somebody else qualified, but they still needed that that they didn't get the top seed. Here they're going for the top seed from the Americas. Uh, Argentina already goes to the World Cup uh, automatically qualifying, so they don't. Comp- they don't have to qualify, and it's USA versus Canada. The whole idea, guys, was that we were going to test some new guys through the ARC. If we win it, great, but we're going to test some new guys in the ARC. Then we bring our squad together, settled and secure. The only people being picked are players who are going to be available for all four games, and then we play Ireland, test a few things for... Georgia and move into the qualification. Well, first qualifier game is 28-28. It's a rather poorly played tie. Um, you guys tell me. I mean, I didn't see a settled side. I didn't see a settled performance at all. Well, I mean, other than the fact that everybody is available for every game this summer, there's been the feeling that you could say is settled. We, we, he still is flip-flopping back and forth between uh, his nines. He keeps shifting guys around in different positions. I don't correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think Ben Sima played 15, at least not an Eagle shirt, uh, until this summer. So the two games. Um, so settled. I mean, Bracky played his third game or second or third game as a as a 12. So it, there's nothing very settled about it. Um, and he keeps shifting guys around in terms of who's playing where and. And uh, it's been very unsettling to me to watch. <laughs> um, and, you know, we talk about selections a lot. We tend to, and, and that's one of the things, the first things that people criticize when something doesn't go right. But, man, they have been glaringly odd and weird uh, this entire, really his entire 
year that Mitchell's been on board, year and a half. But um, you know, it was a very unsettled side, and I think the play reflected it. Very sloppy, a lot of handling errors. You know, I think that's one of the things that USA had gotten better at um, during Mike Tolkien's era, and, and in even early in through uh, John Mitchell's era was. You know, we used to be pretty athletic and pretty dynamic if we just hold on to the dang ball and uh, we've got the drops again. And and not just uh, bad, not being able to catch the ball. I mean, there was one, the, the, the knock from Seema to, to Mike Teo in, in deep in our own end, uh, that doesn't make any sense to me. Seema's on the team because his skills and his rugby IQ theoretically are, they compensate for his lack of athleticism. And he's got a great boot on top of it. Uh, and, and his skills to a, you know, hooker slash center slash wing, um, uh, didn't result, didn't pan out for us. So I, it, it was it was altogether a disappointing performance, and uh, it's been altogether disappointing since we won the ARC. I'd say. Actually, that play in particular, I was like, oh my god, I can't believe he did it. Um, he could have hoofed it himself, but that's actually the play Teo scored on. And, but they got really lucky in that sequence. Number one, they should have been penalized in the scrum. Number two, the ref got in the way of the Canada 8, who would have scored under the sticks untouched. Number three, they should have been penalized in the ruck. Number four, what in God's name was Canada moving the ball from one foot away from the goal line to spin it into a wild thing? Tail made a great play to get that and go to distance. But they had three decisions that were pretty tough. And on top of the fact that the try that they got, I want to say Teo scored this one too. When, uh, when they, when it was a pass from the outside to Augsburger, that was low and he hacked it ahead. Yeah. It looked like a forward pass. I, I don't, I didn't go back, but they didn't go to the TMO and the kid from Canada who scored in the corner and he did drop the ball out of it. The, the Canada tries, they went to the TMO. On the American tries, they didn't. Okay, I, I, it seemed like they were going to the TMO they, on that one, but no, maybe they did, did it for something else. But didn't go to the TMO. Okay, asked them to go for to the TMO. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a little borderline. It's about is maybe about as forward as that pass in the uh, the all blacks line game. But as forward as a guy dropping it from one inch off the ground. Yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, he he was an inch off the ground when he dropped that ball. And he was an idiot for making that kind of a dive in. But the fact of the matter is, that happened. Now, it's been years and years we've gotten no referee calls. But And to say that we didn't get, we got the vast majority of calls, and I know we had two yellow cards. The, the yellow cards were... The second yellow was a joke. The one where... where uh, on Dolan. The one who lost them all. Yeah, Dolan had that ball carrier the entire time. You know, uh, you know, my, not allowed to collapse the mall. You, you, you have one shot. You could sack it. You got one shot to sack it. You could have the ball carrier all you want. You're not allowed to throw your legs underneath them and collapse it. Now he could have penalized them. There's no question. Well, that's not what I, I. To me, it looked like a straight up tackle, shoulder on shoulder. Oh, no, he no. fought his way to the ball carrier and took him down. I didn't see any of the leg fighting you're referring to. You're not allowed. You're not allowed to collapse a mall when you're in a mall. Doesn't you get one shot to sack a line out? That was a mall, an active mall. So that was a there was a clear collapse. Now again, you could have penalized it, or you could have penalty tried it, which he didn't, and you could have. 
you could have yellow carded it. So all three could have been valid, and you know they he did a penalty yellow card. Hiltebrand's one one angle looked pretty bad, one angle looked pretty innocuous. But Hiltebrand's excuse, look at the side. Hiltebrand's not six foot four, and Phil Mack's not five foot five. Yeah, you know they they're very close to the same height. He didn't duck. He threw his shoulder right into his head. Yeah. In years gone by, look at Paul Emmerich. Uh, that could have been a red card. Yeah. And a very devastating blow because the U.S. didn't play well. Canada Canada did a lot of dumb stuff, but Canada strung together phases, played well, and got themselves to the goal line. The USA got themselves got themselves out of jail. Thank God they have McGinty. You know, thank God. Brocky played better, I thought. I think Mattias is going to help them if they play him in the in the subsequent test. I don't quite know why they would have taken Savetta out of the game when they did. Uh, it, it didn't make a, a whole lot of sense to me. I, you know, uh, bef- before we get into selections thing, because there are a bunch of selection things, uh, you know, and, and uh, I'll just want to say this about the referee. I don't know about calls one way or the other. I thought the referee was bad. I thought it was hugely inconsistent. Uh, one of the things he seemed to allow is a player to be tackled to the ground and then crawl, not roll, but crawl. Uh, after he'd been tackled, um, you know, you know what I'm gonna. There, if you looked at the Lions game, you look at you look at the top level international teams. It's kind of what they're doing. They're, they're allowed to crawl, and you know, it's it, okay. But you know, there, there's some. There were a number of inconsistencies there, and there was, hey, look, they don't it, do it quite as athletically or whatever. But yeah, okay, what they're doing isn't. It, it may be quote unquote against the law, but it's. Okay, well, the, the point of that is, is usually to allow <clears throat> at least a little bit better service out of the ruck, get the ball out. Um, I, you know, I saw a lot of ball killing in there. I saw the same old crap that the USA has to deal with all the time, which is a referee allows the opposing team not to release a tackle player and to lie there or squish some other people down and slow up the ball. Ball was very oh, slow coming out. What ball was very slow because of the scrum. But, well, okay, well, I don't think, I don't think that's just the reason. When there's a different scrum half in, the ball is not nearly as slow. Okay. Uh, that, that you could look at that over his body of work. I mean, you just compare the two. Right. No, I I I agree. That's fine. And that's but... like old. That's like Richard Hill of the of the uh, not the scrum half Richard Hill from England against Aaron Smith. I mean, that's that's the difference. Yeah. Um, it doesn't. It, both of them are good players, and you know, both of them have had great success. Um, but the, uh, you know, the quick player was Aaron Smith and, and the, uh, and the slower player would be Richard Hill and, and Richard Hill played with his, you know, his big, his big forwards from England, you know, Garrett Chilcott and, uh, and Dean Richards and those guys. And, you know, he stood there and he played slow and banged balls and did that. And okay. There's, there's a place for each kind of scrum half, but Davies just plays a quicker pace game. Um, that's it. Speaking of Davies, by the way, while we're on the topic, I, I don't get it. I, I, I haven't from the beginning. You know, I used to ask Tolkien about it, why he didn't pick him, and he said there was a hitch in his pass, and I didn't. I never really kind of saw the hitch in his pass. And then you know, I asked Friday about it when he was the uh, you know working with the scrum half for the for under Mitchell, and he never could give me like a, a really great straight answer that made sense to me. I just I haven't understood it. I mean, I know he's small. Um, but the guy's got a great work ethic. He wins at every level, and he's the best. 
He's the best pure passer that we have in the United States right now. They never have. I just don't understand. I mean, don't get me wrong. Mike Petrie was a was a real pro, a really good player, and you know, I'm not saying he should have started over Petrie, but the fact that he wasn't shoved under Petrie and then made to be his successor didn't make sense to me. And I can't figure out for the life of me why Augsburger is playing nine over him right now because it seems night and day to me that Davies is the more composed. The, the definitely plays a faster ball, and defensively, I, I think Sean Davies has made some pretty big plays over the summer too. I I would totally agree with you on that. Um, is I, I, the last point I wouldn't agree with you on. The last point I I think Davies makes plays defensively, but I think Augsburger makes plays defensively too. So I don't. Have to- well, he was he was one of the three guys that whiffed on that first try for Canada. Uh, and I'm not saying that he, you know, he's, okay. uh, yeah, but he's, he, a, he's he also, a windmill. He he, he makes some pretty good cover tackles. He's, he's uh, also, Augsburger also, looks good in uh, on the wing. I mean, he just looks he uh, on the wing. He's he makes a lot of plays. Yeah, it's I, don't scrum half. Good, I don't think he's good enough to be the wing. But I don't think he is either. That's a, that's a, and it, 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 it's. I mean, uh, <laughs> the wings is a whole. The wings used to be a pretty big point of strength for us. I mean, we used to have Inguenya and Wiles and Scully and, uh, you know, Brett Thompson was a, he, he had some pretty good success for us on the wing. It used to be wing was the, the position where you felt we were really good at. And now our deep three in terms of uh, catching the kicks and playing the kicks and countering is might be the weakest yeah. point of the field. Well, it was, it was unfortunate. Uh, Ryan Mattias was sick on, uh, on game day, so he was uh, unable to go. Um, and, and certainly, you know, not having someone like Blaine Scully, uh, not having even like threatened Palamo. So then you can extend out, uh, maybe you change who's on the wing, stuff like that, um, can be, can be an issue. Um, yeah, we've, we've got injuries. USA has injuries, but even so there's been some really odd picks, um, I guess I guess I'd like to, you know, th- there's problems with how people played on the field to start with, um, and maybe we should talk about that first. But there's also been some really odd choices made by Mitchell, so I don't know which one you want to talk about first. Um, it's very. I, I'm. I'm not. I wouldn't be here to necessarily criticize players. I criticize coaches. Okay. Okay. So. So uh, who's reason- who's who's at fault? For the big gaping hole around the ruck that leads to two tries, I mean, just like nobody patrolling anywhere, is that a player thing? I mean, I, w- I would imagine that a that a rugby coach would say, "Hey, by the way, let's watch the pick and go." Well, uh, guard, can, guard your you eight channel. Say, you can you could say that you wanted to have a scrum half in the boot, or that you don't. You know, you may play it differently and most people do have a scrum half in the boot it was one of those plays he, he saw it um, what's his name dth from the saw it and he picked and he made it was actually a great play and you know you blame the defense coach do you blame the player do you but you know we've had so many tries scored on us on basic fundamental errors that were made by people in, in different defensive structures that I mean, Phil Greening had some defensive things that they were doing. They were getting scored first phase tries like it was going out of style. 
and and off of simple malls and things like that, off of line outs, simple scrum moves. So I don't think that you can't blame the players. You can say you can't blame a guy for getting picked to play for the Eagles, giving up his job, going and putting in putting his, his life on hold to go represent his country in a game that he loves doing for no money. So we can't blame them. Those guys, it's not their fault they got picked. They worked, they got picked, and that's it. Agree or disagree with the selection, they worked, they got picked, and that's it. The coaches, on the other hand, are making a lot of money. The HP director is making money. The chairman, the CEO is making money. The players aren't making money. $600,000, say, between um, Nigel Melville and John Mitchell's salary, it's about what it is, and, and, and in Social Security or whatever, it's in and around that area. For 30 guys, that's a $20,000 a year stipend. At $100 a day for 30 guys, that's 200 days of assembly time. What's more valuable, guys being together more often or this this nonsense that they have where they're paying all the people at the top? Well, all the people at the top don't score tries. That was the one thing, and we'll go back to New York Athletic Club, why we were successful. We didn't pay our coaches. And the reason was coaches don't score points. Coaches don't score tries. Coaches don't kick goals. Coaches don't make tackles. Players do that. So if you're going to do something, you got to look after your players. You get them an apartment. You know, your coach doesn't need a damn apartment. He should have his life together. And you know those kind of and and, and, and even you and the the issues for the national team has have never been about we need a wizard to come in and fix it all for us right now. There is no right. There is no wizard that can come in. There's no wizard. It, it, this we're, isn't, told, it, we're told every year that there is. Well, there's a crockpot environment that you, you 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 build your team in. It's not a microwave. It doesn't go Ooh, burn like and then you know, like and it's ready. Your team is built in a crockpot environment. And and the coaches don't have the coaches have a massive influence. But we could say, oh, it's professional, and these guys got to be doing this, and they got to make a lot of money. Marcelo Alfredo went to the top three in the world in 2007, and he had another job. He was a volunteer coach for Argentina. So spare us the nonsense. We need people who care. We need people who are going to do this, and we need to empower the volunteer base to help develop rugby. Okay, so, so I'd, I'd like to, I'd like to chime in on something here. Um, when when you have your coach, your coaching staff, it seems to me that your coach, his number one job is that of an assembler. Let's let's identify the players. Let's bring them all in, and we've got a team. So his job is to pick the team. That's the biggest news always. Who made the team? The second thing is to produce some kind of approach that provides self-belief. We're all in this together. I mean, some coaches do it like it's us against the world and everyone hates you except me, so love me because I love you. And some of them do it by basically saying, you're going to hate me and you're going to prove me wrong. Uh, or, or you're going to love each other and we're all going to work together or it's for USA. Whatever it is, you're going to find something for everybody to play together. Now, if you do that, 
I mean, the the nuts and bolts and the tactical stuff, you should have tactical people. But these guys all know how to play rugby, right? They are, they're all good rugby players. So you're not teaching them from the ground up like you do Pat and you do Bruce and I've done on occasion say, hey, this is what a rugby ball looks at, looks like. Now let's go play rugby. They're all, they all know what they're doing. Now, if you go back to uh, the movie Miracle – um, about the USA hockey team in 1980. And, and, and I'm talking about the movie because I'm not 100% confident this actually happened, but I'm assuming it happened. He's got – Herb Brooks's thing was make everybody hate me, the coach, and then they'll play to prove me wrong. But he produced this group of players together and he started whittling them down cut by cut by cut. And then right near the end when he's got like two cuts to make, he brings in some new kid from the University of Minnesota. And that's when he gets the pushback from the players. And the players say, you don't do that. You don't make us go through all the hell that you made us go through and then bring in someone else. You get rid of him. You'll cut one of us. We know you cut one of us. And we'll accept that. But you don't bring in that guy. So if I'm the guy assembling this group and saying, hey, we're building toward the World Cup qualifier. World Cup qualifier is everything. We're going to see who plays well and who plays well. And then you bring in somebody nobody has heard of. And you not only do you put him on the, t- on the squad, you then put him in a game. He plays poorly in that game, makes an amateur mistake when he's a professional, and then you start him against Canada. It seems to me, more than anything else, that spells a total lack of understanding of how to build a team. And if you want everybody to hate you now, not hate you like, I'm going to prove you wrong, but hate playing for you because you can't be trusted, that's, that's what I would say. And, and Brakey is another guy. I mean, he's at least they played him a couple of times. They talked about him, thought about him in camp. But these guys are not the USA national team. And why are we putting them on there? Well, man, that was a – you really crescendoed there. You really built up to that. I did. Um, that was great. Uh, I, I, I wish I could agree with you a little bit more, but I, I don't think John Mitchell's thinking that deep of let's make him hate me to motivate the team. I think John Mitchell is – Oh, no, I don't down, think, down I don't think he is. I think he's succeeded in just undercutting his entire approach. Yeah. I, 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 to be honest with you, it, I wouldn't put it past Mitchell. From and look, I, to be I don't know Mitchell that well. I've interviewed him once. I've been in the same room with him once. I bet if I was in the same room with him right now, based on the things I've written about him and tweeted about him, he'd take a swing at me. But I wouldn't put it past him to give the big fu to to Dan Payne on the way out by tanking some of this stuff. I really wouldn't, um, knowing you know what I've read, the secondhand conversations I've heard about him and and the way he operates. None of that would surprise me. Uh, I mean, we're talking about a guy here who they literally wrote a book, and it's considered one of the best books out there on leadership and culture and better people make better all blacks. They literally wrote a book about how Graham Henry and Wayne Smith and Steve Hansen got in a room to fix everything John Mitchell screwed up about the all blacks. They wrote a book about it. Kevin Roberts, the former you know, chairman of the board of USA Rugby, is quoted in the book. He's got a quote on the front of the book, and yet he still decided he signed off on the hire of this guy. Uh, from everything I know, Mitchell knows his X's and O's incredibly. His culture piece is 
bad. And he could give a crap less about the United States or USA Rugby or how well we advance when he leaves. He came here as to keep a job because if you're an unemployed rugby coach for so long, people just kind of tend to forget about you. And he hadn't coached in a while, and he needed to get back in get back in the headlines as a rugby coach again, and he found a little bit of success through the ARC and used it as a stepping stone. No different than any of the people that we used to get pissed off about using the Eagles as a stepping stone and then never coming back. And and, and it is what it is at that point. And Bracky, you know what? I'd give Bracky a, a, a pass because the kid's a wing, and we're playing him at 12. Not only is a 12, but is a second 5'8". We're trying to play him as a second fly half. When we have no wings, we're taking a wing from the best league in the world and trying to make him a second fly half. That is an excellent point. Bananas. No, that that is an excellent point because what you've got is an approach that was developed. Hey, we're going to do this whole second five eight deal. Um, Hey, McGinty might play twelve because that works. That that seemed to work in a lot of ways. But then we threw it out by putting a guy who's basically a wing. Instead of using the guys we had who we were working on, we've, we've thrown the plan out. Um, and, and I just – I'm so frustrated because we saw that before. I've written about – I've written that article about other people too. Hey, weren't we doing it this way? Now we're doing it something we, – we've just – at the last second, whatever coach has said, yeah, you know – New plan, new plan, different, and um, enormously frustrating. I realize we have injuries. I realize, you know, uh, they announced Luke. That Hume would be one of my squad. questions. Yeah. And I, I don't know who all the injuries are, but there are a lot of guys missing that can play some freaking rugby and have an Eagle shirts in the years past. I mean, I know TT Lamasatelli just went through a surgery. I know Luke Hume is hurt. I know Blaine Scully is hurt. But uh, there's a lot of cats missing, not just three or four. There's guys that, I mean, obviously he decided that Eric Fry wasn't worth the time of day some time ago and threw him away. Um, and there's some other guys that we just haven't seen. Uh, Manoa's uh, been, Manoa's been injured runs. for quite a while, right? He's been going Yes, back and, and forth Greg Peterson's injuries. been injured. Yep. Greg Peterson's been injured, yep. um, but Palamo, I mean, Palamo has been, you know, playing well. Where's Tau Fetti? I mean, um, the Tau that's one of the biggest things to me. Yeah. I, I'm sorry, Peter Malcolm is a good young player. I think he's a, a promising young player, but Joe Tau Fetti's playing in the freaking Premiership, and well, forget about Hooker, put him at prop for God's sake. Oh, he, which they did a little bit, and and with some success. I mean, yeah. it, 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 Nick Wallace has been completely thrown away and discarded. Um, Graham Harriman was completely discarded. Um, there's there's a number of guys that are just not playing rugby for the United States right now. I mean, Quill is like the only guy who get well in Davies who were kind of you know Tolkien had seen and kind of passed on, uh, or I'm sorry that was that played in the Tolkien era that that Mitchell brought back. And I guess you could say well, Papura. Landry, maybe. Papura is a, a special case because he was gone for a very long time. But uh, Landry right. sort of disappeared, partly because of the football thing. But then, um, you know, good to see him back and everything. But, I just, you know, let's just talk about the, I, I know they got hit hard in the front row. But I, I still don't understand why Patty Ryan is on the USA team. I don't get it. I just uh, I saw nothing from him that said this is a professional rugby player. 
who should be on the team. What about Fallout and Hewitt? Like, of all the sevens guys we're going to take and use, because <laughs> we're using them, right? We have Matt Tyler-Utah. We have um, Martin Yusefo. Are they better rugby players than Danny Barrett? Are they better rugby players than... Um, uh, uh, you want a second five eights? Play Flauniua in second five eights. Perfect. And for that matter, uh, okay, ISFO did get burned a couple of times defensively, but is it does it not make more sense to put him at thirteen and Campbell at twelve and Brakey on the wing or something like that? Um, ISF is not a wing in that level in fifteens. It just it, there's really our, our outside defense, and I Bruce, I'd be in not to undercut you, sorry, Alex, but That's Bruce, I'd be curious. It seems like we took the approach of we are going to we did a lot of tackling down on the wings when we there were still two men free on the outside. We did a lot of daring, dangerous crap on the outside that we didn't need to do, and we didn't have the numbers to do it, and we didn't get there early enough to pull it off. Like they were trying to be Z and Gwenya who blows up the guy who doesn't who blows up the center who doesn't know that Z's blitzing at him, but they were all too slow to actually pull it off. And that seemed to be like a game plan, which I think the only fruits we got out of it were the Teo interception. But am I crazy that I that's what I thought they were had been trying to do for the last couple of games? I don't necessarily know what their plan was. They, I mean, when you start, you say against Ireland. There wasn't much of a plan. I mean, Ireland kept on doing that little dink kick. I think they were just practicing it to use it in another time. You know, it worked a couple of times, and then they then it got blocked a couple of times for tries. There wasn't much going on for us defensively. We can't sustain two phases of of pressure without um, giving some kind of a line break. So, and then against Georgia, we got killed essentially at home for most of the game, and then the U.S. scored a little bit late, but it, it was kind of too little too late at that time. And in his game against Canada, we were completely outplayed basically in every facet of the game. And, you know, but some hustle plays by certain players who made some, you know, we got we, we got a couple of breaks, and that was, thank God, thank God, what the hell were they doing playing McGinty at 12? And he looked I mean, it was like, it was almost like he was a, he was like a lost animal. Like, oh my God, how am I going to get out? You know, it's just trying to make things happen from 12 when he is, he's a guy who makes things happen from 10. That's what he does. He makes things happen. And if you have to play him at 12, you have to play him at 12. But that experiment was, that made zero sense. You want Adji getting the ball because you want him to. You want your scrum half and your fly half control your game for you. They're the guys who have the ball more than anybody, so you want to make sure that those guys. And Adji likes to get the ball fast, which is why you know I would be very surprised if they didn't play Davies in this next game to get him some quick ball and let him do his magic, let him do his work, let him play closer to the line and start putting people through the line. And, and that well, could work. Cause am I the only one who's worried that – I mean, McGinty is – I know he's the only freshly capped in the last couple of years. He's 27 years old. 2019 might be very likely, especially – I mean, he might, could well be the last time we see him in a World Cup. And he's the best – you guys can, again, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I, I think he's the best 10 we've ever had. Certainly the best 10 since I've been paying attention. And when I first started paying attention in about 2000 
2008, 2009-ish, that was the big thing that we didn't have. We didn't have a 10, and we had a pretty good 9 for a long run, but we didn't have a 10 to go with them, and we kept trying to figure out who that 10 was going to be, and we had some other good things. We had some good second rows. We had some good deep three. We had some good centers, but we didn't have a 10, and now we have a 10, and everything else seems to be falling apart. I'm a little worried that we're going to waste McGinty's time as an eagle because he's not going to have anything up around him because of these selections and whatnot that have left us where we are at the moment. Well, whatever the selections are, the, are, you know, like I said, the players, it's not their fault that they get picked, you know, and they come out and they, and they do their best. And, you know, we did get blown up in the scrum, but that's been a problem for got to be a decade now. And we need to make some improvements in the way we develop, the way we put this. There's, there's a lot of things that go into having a good national team. And some of the things that were in place prior, everything's gone by the wayside, and there's not a lot of there's not a lot of development opportunities for players. So we're sitting here and we're blaming players, but we're not really giving them an opportunity to thrive and to enhance themselves. We're not giving local coaches and 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 coaches much of an opportunity to thrive and enhance themselves. And, you know, you can sit and say a level two course, like this is the way you run the ball. And, and, it, and, and they don't even teach that properly. So, you know, I would say that there's a lot of online resources there, but there's still things that can be done. A lot of interesting people come through America who would be willing to speak to our people and give them, share their expertise and their knowledge. And those things should be available to all coaches, and and obviously, I mean, I, there's nothing spectacular going on in, in, in an Eagle game plan. You let a bunch of coaches shadow the Eagles and, and see this. Now, and we had a, a last conversation of who should be the Eagle coach. Well, after these four weeks, after this performance over the past three weeks, I'm not so sure that that's as cut and dry as it seems. Because these performances have been horrible, to say the least. And, we talked about Scott Lawrence, and Scott Lawrence was uh, added to the staff. He's on there. He's he's not with them anymore. He sort of went back to what he was doing. J.D. Stevenson is there. But uh, um, we talked about Scott Lawrence, and he's on the staff. Well, how awkward, though, must that be? <laughs> not just for Lawrence. I mean, they had Gavin Hickey in for a couple games as well. I mean, you know that the head coach is going out. The head coach and all of his assistant coaches, or most of them are all cronies. I mean, they all played for the London Wasp, Greening, Veal, um, Friday when he was there. Uh, uh, and obviously, Mitchell played there, all under the Nigel Melville Hall of, Wasp Hall of Famer umbrella. So you're walking into literally an old boys club, and there's a lot of people, uh, not just me or us, who think that Scott Lawrence is going to be the guy who uh, takes the job. And not only is he going to be one of the guys that takes the job, but everyone knows his relationship with Dan Payne. And I think it's pretty easy for those who haven't had the private conversations, who may be listening to this, to put two and two together and realize that Payne and Mitchell had a pretty bad relationship. So now you got Payne coming in to help out with the guy that didn't really care for Payne and all of his buddies. And then you got a couple of guys like, you know, Gavin Hickey. And I wouldn't be surprised there's a couple other people that were working the game that maybe we didn't see or didn't notice. How awkward was that? must that be? I can't imagine that Scott 
Lawrence has had any impact. He, I can't imagine he's doing anything but observing. I mean, if you're Mitchell, why would you let him? And if you were Scott Lawrence, why would you go jump on that grenade? And what's the point of being there? What's the point of accepting the position? Seriously. Well, I, I think to understand the uh, the what you're what you're getting into. I mean, who wouldn't love to? I would love to be a, a fly on the wall. I mean, I, I didn't take over a program; I started my own. But I think any coach would be, love to be on the fly on the wall and see how his players react to adversity before they actually coach them through the adversity that they do. Who reacts to not getting selected? Who reacts to this coaching style? Reacts this way? I mean, Scott doesn't. Yes, he coached the U twenties. I don't. Alex, you could say if there are a couple guys on that team that are on the team now. I don't think there are. Uh, Tao, Tao's uh, on the team. Mike okay, Taylor. so there, yeah. there's one, but he doesn't. And he, he coached. He dealt with some of them at life, like Davies and McGinty, but and, and Dolan. But it's not like he knows personally all these other guys. He's doing the homework in advance that it took Mitchell a year to do because he refused to watch tape. He wanted to see everybody play. I, and if you only, if you have a shortened two years, I, hell yeah, I would. I'd be the fly on the wall doing my homework. And 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 and, and you know what? I'm sure there's a lot that Lawrence can learn from Mitchell from the X's and O's side, and there's a lot he can learn from all, from all those other guys because they're all qualified coaches. So I think he'd be, he'd be foolish not to take that opportunity. I, I, but to act like he was going to come in and affect change at this point in the game, I would have never expected anything like I, that. I totally disagree with you on a, on a couple of fronts. I, I, I get what you're saying. There's not a whole lot you're going to learn from him on the X's and O's part. X's and O's of rugby are simple. That's that's not that's not really that difficult. Tactics and skills are simple. That's really not that difficult. You don't improve players in international camps in terms of their skill. I'm going to make a guy a better passer if he's a crappy passer. And I'm going to make a guy a better catch high balls better if he's crappy at it. Well, okay, you well, look, you, you tell me that there's there's nothing that Lawrence could could possibly learn from John Mitchell, a man who has coached. Uh, in New Zealand, in South Africa, played everywhere in the world. There's nothing he could pick up from his life experience. Could I? Could I finish? I've let you guys finish. Just let me finish. Okay. No. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, I no. And it's been the theme of the show. But um, the there's not anything that he should learn from John Mitchell. There's not going to be anything. That there's no magical thing that John Mitchell knows. There's no magical drill. There's no magical tactic because he hasn't used it. There hasn't been a magical tactic. There's been tries leaked in on amateurish errors over the course of his entire tenure. There's been selections where you're like, what in God's name is he thinking? There's been fraudulent victories. There's been the worst loss in the history of world rugby rankings. So what is there to learn? There's not a lot to learn. If he's going to go in and become part of the staff, then immerse yourself in the staff and own it. That, I believe that. If you're going to go into something, you can't just go in and say, oh, I'm an observer. Then say, he's a fly on the wall. Don't say he's part of the staff. That's not right. That puts the players in two different lines, and it doesn't give them the best opportunity to, to, to grow anywhere. I, I really don't think that, I think that you're either in it or you're out of it. And if you want to be out of it, say, no, I'm out of it. I'll go in and I'll check things out and I'll be, I'll be a shadow or whatever. But don't act like if he's part of the staff, then he owns his part of the staff. And his expertise is defense. 
So probably what's been doing, either they're letting him coach the defense or they're not. If they're not letting him do stuff, then he should have just said, screw this, I'm out of here. I'm not sitting here putting my name on this nonsense or be part of it. You're either part of it or you're not part of it. That That's how I feel on that. And I just don't think that what is Scott, what is John, John Mitchell going to tell Scott Lawrence that he doesn't know or he can't get elsewhere? Or if they already have a bad relationship with Payne and Lawrence and Payne and Mitchell, then why is John Mitchell going to tell Scott Lawrence anything? Is he even going to tell him the right thing? I wouldn't, either, you, either you're in it and you want to learn and this is going to be great. I, I don't know what you're going to learn. You, I've seen a lot of stuff that I wouldn't want to learn. Although I did think that their, their call to go for the drop goal at the end of the game was smart. Uh, and normally I'm on top of things would like you, that. And I didn't would you have gone a couple more phases to make sure the time was out? Look, if he felt he could make the kick, I think he'd just go and make the kick, kick a deep kickoff, and he'll be fine. Yeah, I if now, if I'm now, being just quick, real quick, sorry, uh, if I'm being picky on that, they didn't have anybody out there to sort of block for the chase for, for the for the guy trying to charge it down, and and that's why he missed was somebody was in his face. But anyway, by the way, and I, I, I Bruce, you done? I don't want to step on your toes again. Another getting frail. I, <laughs> I'm very frail, but I look, I understand exactly where you're coming from. But I think you understand exactly where I'm coming from, too. Yeah, I know. I understand. And the point, I think I made like three or four points about why I didn't think that we could put any of this on Lawrence. And you torpedoed one really well. But I think the other ones still stand up. And I think they not only stand up for him to learn about the players and how they react in certain situations, but about the coaching staff. I mean, maybe he wants to keep – maybe Marty Veal's a really sharp guy that he's going to work well with. Maybe he needed to be in some discussions with him about – how in, in kind of read him and see how what that looks like. I mean, it's a pretty unique scenario to be able to walk into a staff that you know you're going to, well, if, if what I believe is true, he knows he's going to take it over and, and, and be able to really see those guys up close and personal and, and figure out what they're about. I, I think that's a pretty unique scenario. You could argue that he's also looking to see the things to say, Hey, we're not going to do that anymore. You know, um, for sure. And, and, no, I don't know. Um, it, it, but but it, it's a problematic situation, right? What what bugs me is the build up to this pinnacle, and there's no build up. The the build up was a house of cards, partly induced by injuries, um, partly induced by certain people we could point to, Nigel Melville, one of them, and and the trade offs he made on on overseas players. We're still not. We've lost all kind of upper hand in terms of negotiating to make sure that overseas players are around. Um, and uh, we, I don't know how long – what's going to happen for us to get that back. Um, but I think that the coaching and the selections um, are just not right. They're not on. Is that fair? I think so. you got a lame duck coach. Lame duck coach and a bunch of the, the assistants have been changed out, you know, numerous times already. So, and it, this is imagine being a player in this situation. It's a complete bleep 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 show. Uh oh. That said, Bruce, you didn't need me to bleep you. You bleeped yourself. 
That said, <laughs> it's exciting. You know, as much as everyone is the, the 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 players that I know actually like Mitchell. The other people I don't like. It's not Mitchell. Now, I'm just and maybe you mean Pat may know differently, but they don't dislike him. No, but. <laughs> I don't know that that is the uh, the mark of a good culture or a good coach. Just the fact that your players like you. I mean, there was. I bet if I, I bet if I rocked up the practice every night with a thirty pack with my college kids, they'd like me a lot more. But that doesn't make me any better coach. I bet if I, you know, it really ran the shenanigans and showed them a good time at uh, Kangaroo Court, that um, that they would think I was funny and it would make for a couple stories and maybe they'd like me a little bit more. But it doesn't mean it makes me a better coach. It makes our culture any better. I agree with you. I don't think that's happening. I do. There are some things that happened that were. In, I think I hinted at some things that I know happened um, in South America. Yeah, definitely didn't happen. That definitely won't happen under Scott Lawrence, and definitely didn't happen under Mike Tolkien. No, I, I know that, uh, and and there's been a couple of things that happened that were wrong. I mean, and outright wrong. And the fact that players are still playing who did it, and the fact that the coach didn't deal with it, and everybody else didn't deal with it. It was shock, shocking. And unfortunately, we can't talk about it, but it was something pretty egregious, something like, wasn't horrible in terms of anything other than, I can't believe that you would actually do that to somebody who is genuinely just a nice guy, who's never, you know, doesn't hurt people, and he took it, and it's complete nonsense. So are we going to see any changes? I mean, uh, some of the stuff we're talking about we've dealt with um, for some years. I'm not saying everything, um, but some of the stuff we're talking about just seems to happen every single time. Um, and uh, the the panic before the big game, the World Cup, the big tournament – and then suddenly bringing in a new person who's going to fix it all, a, a coach or a player or both. Uh, God, I've, I've, I've seen that since I've started writing about World Cups. So are we going to see anything different with whomever we've got? I, I, I don't know. It just seems like in the end um, I'm losing my faith in the, the idea that coaches really know what they're going to do. They tell me a lot of things. They tell me a lot of things about their preparation, their periodization, and, and their analysis and how it's all going to come together. And then I don't see any of that on the field. So It's all a crock of crap. you got to get guys <laughs> to play and understand what they're doing. You have to have clarity. If you have clarity, then you can play fast. If there's no clarity in the players and they don't understand their roles, not fully, completely understand them, then they don't play fast. And that's it. And they have to have clarity, and they have to believe, and they have to be part of a shared vision, and that's it. So hopefully that happens. Whatever happens in this particular game, if it were me, it's too damn late to affect a massive amount of change. I'd get Mattias into the game. I would have McGinty and what's it, and McGinty and Davies at, at 9 and 10. I would hope to God to stay out of as many scrums as we can. I play a territorial game, and I would just try to pound through the holes in the Canadian midfield because they can do that. 
and I would just keep on trying to run them off their feet and clear rucks and let McGinty control the game with Davies. I wouldn't slow it down. And if it was going to get slowed down, pump it downfield, chase the living snot out of it, and leave the Canadians in their own end. And, and I would just try to play down there, let them make their own mistakes. They seem to have done a great job of it. I mean, they, you know, when they tied the game, they almost gave it back to us, you know, and that's just, and then we almost gave it back to them. So we need to understand we got to play down there and we have to, they get these the best player we have. It's not even close. And we have to let him control the game, get some power runners into the game. They can't deal with power runners. They don't deal well with tail. They don't do so like off of scrums or off of lineouts, just hit him straight up off the edge, right into that 710 channel, that natural weakness in defense. Get a quick ball, boom, smash up again. Send Campbell into that. Send whoever Mattias into it. Send anyone into it who can run hard, take care of Rebecca, who can run hard and have a great hit on it and then, you know, and then play from there. Those are the types of things I would be doing. But to sit there and try to run this cute little game plan, it's, it's insane. It's insane. Let these two guys run the game. That's what I would do. I would absolutely let them run the game. And I would tell the forwards, make sure that we're going forward. I would tell Davies, your job is to make sure that our pack is going forward. And they had a couple of good defensive stretches where they really got their spacing right, and they were coming up and they were making tackles. Just try to keep doing that consistently. And don't start rushing out of the line trying to make these big plays. Just keep them pinned without trying to do things and without trying to force the hand. If a guy jams, everybody jams. If a guy slides, we all have to slide. That's how defenses stay connected. And if they do that, and they're physical in the breakdown, and they tackle the tackler, and they put Canadian bodies off their feet, then we'll be fine. But if they keep on trying to do whatever the hell they're doing, that's not working. And if we're in our own half, you could see they kick to us. Okay, we caught our kicks. There were a couple that Connor Braid kicked from center where our wingers came up and our fullback didn't, didn't adjust over. But if we catch the ball, if we're not going to get past halfway or the 40-yard line or whatever yard line you want to use, then kick it. Get rid of the ball. Pump it downfield. Just have a policy. You're not going to get past halfway? Pump it. And everyone knows. Then everyone's on their feet. And we can play. It shouldn't be you get the ball and guess. It should be get the ball, now I know. We're either running it or we're kicking it. And those types of, if they do that, and those are simple things to put in. That doesn't take any, anything. They're going to win their lineouts. They, they just need to hold themselves up in the scrum for a second. Dolan's actually pretty good at getting the ball out of there. And Tamalau is too. So they just got to hold the ball up for a second in the scrum. Boom, put it in and just get get off this. And that's why I would run wingers off there. I wouldn't get it in McGinty's hand and let him get killed. Just run a winger. Run one of those tough guys. Bam, just go. And we'll just clear it out from there and we'll play from there. Then let McGinty control the game. Off of lineouts, let McGinty control the game. 
quick taps let McGinty control the game. I would quick tap a couple times on him. Sometimes when they commit penalties, we're sitting there waiting, just tap and go. You have a number. You have a number of guys who would make that really work very well, um, and and I, I and I would back that up, Bruce. And I would say that there are players who have talent or ability who are underutilized. And you mentioned two of them. You mentioned Bryce Campbell. Um, his his kind of beast mode running. We didn't see much of that. We didn't see him set up for that. And Cam Dolan. Um, is really effective in a number of ways, especially open field runner. We saw Nick Savetta do some stuff, and that's great. Um, happy to see him score two tries. But using our um, the talent that we have available right there is uh, is a little bit. It's a little bit sad to see it's not being used. Um, I don't think. I don't think what's we're... Andrew Duratalo got to do to get on the field? <laughs> uh, he's got to tackle someone. He's got he's got to tackle Aaron Carpenter on an eight man pick. Thank you, please. Well, it's wait. Just, I'm gonna I'm gonna give him I'm gonna give him a pass on that a, li- a little bit of a pass. I, I I I'm interested to hear this. Yeah. All right. Okay. A lot of times on things like that, they probably told him you got to go in, keep you keep you propping in there, and you got to push, push, push. Carpenter got a quick ball, had a quick step, and made a play. That. There also probably wasn't a ton of communication with the um, with the winger. I think he was back pretty far when that happened, and so there probably wasn't a ton of communication. Or someone should have said, "You have the whole sideline. You have the whole sideline, Drew." And then that scrum might have wheeled, and he might have been caught in. They might have had Davies go around the the back end and and keep him on that side, just to you know they could have had the seven go. And give him an eight nine flip to the left where we have a full back line. There's a couple of things like you can't put everything on one guy. The, the the scrum half and the back row and the winger and the fly half have to really be communicating as to what's going to happen in defense. They probably didn't think that Carpenter was going to go down that that narrow line. And that was they're, probably they're the only the the only three people in the stadium who didn't think he was going to do that. Well, then, I mean, uh, I mean that you just really, really slow off the off the side. I understand you're pushing, I, I, so your balance I, I, is I, off. But I didn't think. I, I mean, I didn't really think slow. I, I actually didn't think he was going to do it. I was surprised, and yeah. I it was a great play. But uh, that's why he's there. That's why he's there. When they put him in, they, they slide him to eight. That's why he's there. And he's not Tyler Rod- lineouts. Tyler Rodron can do the same thing. Well, that's that's one of the other things that we can. So while we have a weaker defensive scrum, I actually think that with um, with Dolan and Clever in the defensive lineout, we I'm, I'm assuming they're going to start Clever anyway, um, just because it's his last game. Uh, so I don't think it would be on form, but I think they're going to start him anyway and hope that he gives a performance. Then. But Dolan and Clever could be really effective weapons in a defensive lineout, getting up in the air, kind of using Savetta less as a jumper and more as a lifter on either end of those guys. And whoever they use as the other second row to be kind of a tail lifter and almost play it like a five-man lineout and then have maybe have two guys at the tail 
and like have Savetta in as as the third man in a five man lineup with um the second row behind those two in there and then have two of the front rowers toward the edge toward the back of the line out. Um, I'd like to just a couple of quick observations. One's a question. What happened to Tony Lamborn? Is he hurt? Did they not let him across the border? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, okay. Look at this lineup. See, see what you'd think if you were, uh, if we were going to run this lineup onto the field, okay? You, uh, Lamisatelli, Taufetti, and Bauman in your front row. I've got a hole at second row, but I've got Nate Brakeley on the other side. McFarland, Lamborn, Manoa in your back row. Madison Hughes and Will Holder as your halfbacks. Luke Hume, Martin Isefo, Threaten Palamo, Takun Gwenya as your backs, and your fullback is Blaine Scully. Okay? Not a bad team. A team that could possibly do something. All of those guys were either not picked, injured, or unavailable. So, and that's those are again those are the the way it is. But those are the those are the choices of the coaches' injuries. You can't do anything about Um, and unavailability. I think part of it is probably due to the fact that I guess you had to be available for everything to be available for anything. And in the age of professionalism, I think that our our coaches have had to adapt to the fact that people aren't available for everything because of the, of the situations that they have within their professional clubs and you have to pick and choose when you're going to have them. Yeah, they've got that enforced stand-down period. So if they have and, – and really what would happen is somebody will probably say world rugby – can force them to make me available for World Cup qualifiers, but maybe they can't really, really force me to be available for Georgia, and at which point you say, well, never mind then. And if you do that, if you're all about that, why did you bring in somebody who nobody knows and nobody's seen and has never been on the team before and bring him in as a late late replacement? I don't don't know how – I'm not sure how – that he's never been around only because Will Holder said he's really good. And how would he know? Mm. You know what I mean? I'm pretty sure he was around for some of the ARC. I'm pretty sure he was around for, for other stuff. I, I think that, I think that that's, that he was around for things. I, I would, I would probably play him at wing where he normally plays because I think that would help Why us. would you do that? wouldn't be st- – don't – I mean, come on. Why would you do that? Yeah, I guess. What am I thinking? Probably should play hooker. We made That's a lot of – I think. We made a lot Let's of- take Ben Seema a fly half and make him a 15. Let's take Bracky a, a, a wing and put him at 12. Let's take McGinty a fly half and put him at 12. Let's take Augsburger a wing or seven halfback and – throw him into international 15s as a scrum half, even though, like, literally he hasn't hardly ever played it. I mean, this stuff is mind-boggling to me. <laughs> I get the idea of rugby's rugby, and it's not everything's not position-specific, but when you get to this level, it kind of is, especially at 9, especially at 12, when you want to run your 12 as a second 5-8, especially in the, at fullback, international rugby as a fullback. 
I mean, it's, it, it, none of it makes any sense to me whatsoever. And especially when they're not willing to – like, if you're going to play – if Augsburger's your nine, then make them collect minutes at nine. Don't start Davies at nine, four out of the five games in the ARC, <laughs> when Augsburger yeah. needs time at nine. And put him in, put Augsburger on the wing and then say, hey, figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, if you're going to go all in with Augsburger <laughs> as your nine, then go all freaking in. Push the chips in the it, middle. It is keep exactly pulling them back the, out. It is exactly the same thing. I think we're all saying many various aspects of the same thing. If you have a plan, then do things that take you along in the plan. Don't circular file the plan at the last minute or in the middle to do something else entirely. Yeah. To your point, does it change, Alex? I mean, you were talking about does it change. I think you meant long-term and long-term. to the next coach and not to the next game. I don't think anything changes from Canada other than some selections. They're not going to – I mean, they would be – even more foolish to make some kind of wholesale strategical change or philosophical change over the next couple of games. Um, but they would be wise to make some of the personnel changes we've talked about. But does anything change? I think here's the biggest problem with American rugby. I mean, on, like, not the biggest problem. This is a big problem, that you get a coach in, and I think most of the time a new coach is going to have some buy-in. Um, from players, you know, he's going to come in with a resume. Everybody's going to see his resume in the release, and then that coach is going to come in extremely well prepared, and people are going to know about it. But then, once you lose a couple games, or maybe you lose four games, or maybe you drop a player that everybody holds in high regard, people's trust in you and their faith in you and how bought in they are starts to be chipped away, and then those. People start chirping, players chirp, and then they go chirp to the HP manager, they go chirp to the CEO, and they say, this guy has no idea what he's doing. He doesn't know what he's doing. Or maybe they put more rules on you that you don't, you know, you can't go out, you know, three nights a week when we're on tour or whatever it is. And and anytime that you say something that's anti what they want, they start chirping. If you're winning, then you can say, guys, we're winning and this is why. If you're not winning consistently, it's really hard to hold that trust, hold that uh, the, the belief, and especially when you're together as little as they are. It's not like they're around each other every day, and you can keep earning their trust and winning their trust every day. You have to win their trust for two weeks, then go away for a while, and then win their trust again in months down the line, and then go away for a while. It's really hard. And so I think the point that Bruce has made a couple of times that uh, about trusting that a pain's going to make this hire. He needs to have somebody he can trust. He needs to have somebody that he can trust, but not only that, but somebody that can trust him and know that if I piss five players off, if I piss Todd Clever off, if I piss Blaine Schooley off because he's not doing something right and I need him to do something right, that you're going to have my back. And, and until we get to a scenario where a coach can be trusted in that way, um, then I, I'm not so sure that that we will see much change because I, I don't see us in the anytime in the near future being able to actually pay players what they're worth or, or pay them a better per diem crap. I'm not even sure if they're getting paid the same per diem now that they always have. Um, so I don't see the money changing, allowing us to be more professional anytime soon. So if that doesn't change, something else has to, and at least I hope that whoever the coach comes in is given the appropriate amount of leash and and the appropriate amount of oversight to where trust can build between him, his team, and the people that hire and fire. I don't think you can pay the coaches two hundred and sixty grand, and then you'd have a little bit more money 
for the players, if nothing for medical. And, you know, there's no reason to be paying coaches what they're paying these guys. No, I agree. But keep in mind that we're not only down a million dollars. I mean, Steve Lewis on your podcast said we overspent $800,000 too. So really you're down $2 million at that point. Not because we had a shortfall on our budget, and then we went over the budget by a million. So it's not like you you stop paying Mitchell two hundred and sixty, and you pay the new guy one hundred and twenty, and all of a sudden you have one hundred and forty in free cash flow. That's just one hundred and forty less that you're in the red out of about one point eight million that you're in the red. I mean, every everything counts, and and that's how come they really need to make a few hard choices as to what what kind of programs is USA Rugby going to run. And the reality is they can't afford to run anything except men's and women's national team and sevens and under-20s. And I say the under-20s because they're subsidized by world rugby, and, and we're foolish not to join in on that and try to make the most of the, of the under-20s world rugby subsidized subsidies. And if it means we're not going to use college players because there's a myopic view, I mean, that's fine. And if the kids don't want to play, that's fine. And the reality is we're not going to beat Tier 1 nations with privileged, rich, white college kids. It's not going to happen. You give me six months and all the under-20 talent in the states of Tulsa and Texas – and I could beat our under-20s team in Tulsa the way that they're set up right now. I know you're more intelligent than this. Just say Oklahoma. <laughs> Let's say Oklahoma. Um, the state of Tulsa. Oh, you're right. I, right. I, if I'm going to take all of Texas, I should just take all of Oklahoma. You're He's right. Take Thank all you. of Oklahoma. Uh, you know, so we'll throw in Nebraska. For, you could get him. You, you could take the Memphis kids, too, because I know that's so. – Yeah. Because they're doing some good stuff there. Um, that's not a state either. But it's a uh, – State. But I would um, – I get what you're saying, and it, it's just and it's just a matter of is that something that we're willing to embrace? Is that something the parents are willing to embrace? Is that something the players are willing to embrace? I think that that's a place we can, we can go. Let's give a plug to the USA Islanders going and playing Saracens in, uh, in, in August, August 10th in Bermuda. That's going to be freaking cool. Tui Osborne and Baja Siki have been doing a really good job, um, along with Steven Siano, of uh, of getting that working. So it's 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 not easy. Are we gonna be able to watch that? Uh, hopefully, Flow Rugby I, is talking to him. So hopefully, yeah. Yeah, I think they'll have a web stream of it. Um, you know, you know, USA- it's, it, it's going to be really good because it, it's supposed to expose players. You either get the the, the established Islander players. Or you go find some that are off the beaten path. I kind of like it either way. But if you get some mm-hmm. off the beaten path, you know, we know that there's talent out there that is not identified. Maybe you get some film on somebody, you see them against a professional team, you might see somebody come out of that. We were told that we were going to get everybody. Um, but kind of like that Brady Bunch episode, something suddenly came up. And uh, so I think USA Rugby kind of spoke out of both sides of its mouth to us. But uh, that all being said, we're not too worried about it, and everything will go along as planned, and, and this is going to be – I think this is going to be it, – it'll be tough for us in the beginning, obviously, but I think it'll be a good thing for American rugby to 
see Island players with an opportunity to get themselves into a spot where they're playing together and they're coached by each other. And the reality is they're running this whole program entirely themselves. Older and I haven't done anything. By design, we haven't done anything. And these guys, Tui especially, Vaha and Tui have really taken the bull by the horns. The players are very excited. And I think it's a great opportunity. And hopefully we can snowball it into a yearly thing and then snowball it into other opportunities where we possibly get to play Canadian provincial sides or different teams that are maybe buzzing through, through America. That could, I, I think it'll be a great vehicle to get our probably our most underserved community um, of rugby players noticed, and especially our most underserved community of rugby coaches. That's for sure. For sure. For sure. They are completely overlooked. And, you know, so I think that's, and it's going to be pretty, it's pretty exciting. And there's definitely been some hiccups, no doubt about it, but they've, they've, they've fought their way through it. And I, I got to say, like, Tui has stepped up and exceeded all expectations. Um, Holder has always been a massive believer in Baja as a coach. So, this is going to be a pretty cool. It's going to. I'm not saying I don't know what the result's going to be. It's going to be a pretty cool thing, though. Well, we need to find some players, and we need some belief, and we need a plan. I don't know why. Why we keep saying we need a plan because we do this podcast, and we never have a plan. Uh, that's why I never remember to say it's brought to you by Eagle Impact Rugby Academy. I never remember to remind you to read Pat Clifton's stuff on Rugby Today. I never remember to remind you to uh, go to iTunes or go to RugbyMatrix.com for the Rugby Matrix International Show. Check out FlowRugby.com for stuff I'm doing on some of the higher, higher end stuff and some of the events that uh, I'm covering. And also Golf Rugby Report, a little bit more grassroots, a little bit more goofy at times. Um, I don't remember to do any of that because I have no plan. Um, so hopefully somebody uh, on the Eagles and USA Rugby has more of a plan than we do. Thanks for listening to Rugby Matrix America. <laughs>